You are now listening to the Bucket Up Podcast. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and most other places you can find podcasts, my G. Be sure to follow us on social media at the Bucket Hat Boys on Instagram, the Bucket Up Podcast on Facebook, and at Bucket Up Podcast on Twitter. On this episode of the Bucket Up Podcast, we talked to candidate for Congress in Arizona, Stephanie Rimmer, about the importance of voting, how politics affect our everyday lives, how we can get more involved, and much more. Um, so the no paid um, federal holiday, I think, is not something that Republicans are ever going to support. And um, but but I could see Democrats supporting something like that. Um, would you compromise on a holiday without it being paid? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You I want mean, that money. Fly like a jet plane. I see in my blood, I can never change. Running in my soul, I can never break. Pinky off the glass, really change the taste. I just wanna kick it with my crew. They just want the lights like. And we're live. You're now listening to volume 132 of the Bucket Up Podcast. Here with your boy Ty Doyle, aka DJ Buttersauce, aka Ty Lante. And I'm here as always with the homie, the kid JB. What's good? Yo, man. Happy to be me here. It's me, the kid happy JB. <laughs> I'm always happy to be me and be around <laughs> you. But yeah, oh. it's me, the kid JB. Could have been right last week, aka Mr. Told You So. Not because I'm always right, but when I'm right, I tend to call you and tell you that I told you so. Uh, I'm especially happy to be here because we've made it another week in what we call the Twilight Zone. You know, I've been quarantining for four plus months, it seems like. Um, but more importantly, excited because this week we have a guest in the building, in Very another special. building. You know what I'm saying? As we like to say, because we're social distancing, but you know, part of the course, we also bring our guests from other places. Um, last week we had a really cool, more serious toned podcast that, you know, hit good numbers. People were hitting me up and telling us that we were making good political strides and kind of stepping a little outside of what we normally talk about, which is, you know, politics and stuff like that is something that we usually stride away from because we like to unify our audience instead of divide politics unfortunately tend to divide people so we wanted to think outside the box a reason to get people unified you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i reached out on twitter to a local politician that um uh accepted our invite to the show and i want to bring her on uh she is running for the next Congress, which I want to learn more about because I don't even know if I said that right. The but Congresswoman of the sixth district, right? I believe. That, that is what I'm running for. Ah, yeah. there we go. Research. Bring her, bring, her, <laughs> bring her on to the show. Stephanie Rimmer, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you guys. I'm so happy to be here. Um, as you mentioned, I am in politics, but I'm not a local politician. I'm actually a Scottsdale business owner. Okay. Um, our business, Rimmer Lighting, has been in Mexico exporting American manufactured lighting fixtures for more than 30 years. And we represent most of the large American manufacturers, um, somewhere between 
you know, 55 and 70 at any given time as we change lines and update what we're doing. Um, so I am a Scottsdale business owner and a 25 year resident of the Valley. I've always been involved in politics and public issues because I think they're important. And like Jess said, they should be unifying. And I think it's important to have those conversations. Nice. Definitely. So yeah, definitely. Uh, again, appreciate you taking the time out. I know, um, you having a busy schedule aside from your, you know, career, your mom, you, you know, you have a, a life, you know, and uh, appreciate you again, taking the time out on a Sunday, let alone uh, to talk with us. So um, appreciate that. I always find it unique how social media can bring people together. Um, I reached out on Twitter, kind of just seeing, I think something political relating to Doug Ducey in something going on with uh, Arizona and his current decision on how to handle shutdown or the re-shutdown or the temporary shutdown whatever you want to call it and I can't remember what it was specifically but then you and I agreed on something and then the conversation kind of grew from there you can't remember what we agreed on <laughs> I think that we agreed that we'd like people to be safe healthy and well and um so it was probably, you know, one of those mask app Arizona type things, you know, mm -hmm. encouraging masking because we all want to be participants in the community. Um, anyone who wants to open up quickly wants to get the numbers down as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. And anyone who's in business, um, I think really benefits if we can open up and resume normal life. Mm -hmm. So I think we, re we connected over the idea that um, regular everyday people have, you know, similar expectations and we don't view a pandemic as a partisan political issue we view it as mm -hmm. just a quality of life and health issue for you know ourselves and our families and our community perfect yes that's exactly what it was i was saying that talking about the masking thing is uh not a political issue and you were like no nah, it's a human decency issue and i was like oh mic drop <laughs> you know <laughs> so yeah uh let's you know get into it the masks i'll admit um I i'm a little hypocritical in that regard i was a little late to the party with the masks um not by choice i just was lazy didn't buy one didn't know where to get one um but i was more keen to staying home so it wasn't like i was dilly dallying and you know mm. spreading the virus out and about there was an episode I talked about. I went to the grocery store with a sleep mask over my face because um, I didn't have anything. But um, yeah, so mo more recently, my frustration with the mask and um, why I wanted to bring you on to the show was I have people in my circle um, that are a little on the opposite side of, I don't want to say logic and reason, but on the opposite side of science and data with when it comes to the masks. Um, what have you been seeing with some of the anti-maskers uh, besides some of the, you know, their own science and data that they're implying that they, you know, they get more harmed with the masks? Well, I think that there's some confusion out there because we haven't had a strong message from the national level. Mm -hmm. And if we had and consistency, then I think this would have gone a lot different. So people had patience in the beginning. Um, if we had shut down the country one state, one state at a time or each state collectively all at the same time for, let's say, four weeks and did like what Montana did right in the beginning. Montana shut down. You couldn't come in unless you quarantined for 14 days. Well, Montana's doing fine. We shut down here in Arizona, and that was really hard for a lot of people because people lost their jobs, businesses were in jeopardy, and then Congress passed their CARES Act and offered, you know, money to small businesses to keep their employees during this time. 
but they offered a, you know, a small amount of money in comparison to what we actually collectively generate in, you know, a, in a pandemic. So they offered businesses that got it two and a half months, but we had to keep employees. You had to um, use it for employees or rent. And, and the problem with that is if you aren't generating revenue, when the money runs out, you're done. You have to generate revenue as a business. But everybody was patient, and I think people were willing for a while. But then, then you know, after a while, people get hungry. Um, like we see even with immigration, people are willing to break rules and cross borders. Mm -hmm. So I think it started that way with people saying, hey, we need to get back to work. Our businesses are in jeopardy. Our livelihoods, our families are hurting. And the plan wasn't working. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Arizona was doing great also. And I think that was one of the things like, well, this might not be real was one of the issues that people had because, you know, we were doing great. Our numbers were very low. But as soon as we opened up, we saw that skyrocket. And I think the mask up campaign, you know, which was a lot of individuals collectively came together to start saying, hey, let's mask up because we didn't really want to show, shut back down. And masks have been proven effective in other countries and in other parts of our country. So what I'm seeing, though, is that people got tired of this um, in, a, in a time frame that we could have handled it. So it makes sense people got tired of it. Um, but it's become kind of on party lines. Democrats seem willing to stay home and wear their masks and social distance, and Republicans seem to be less so. And I also think that's also an issue of you know, messaging from public leaders and elected officials. At the same time, though, in Scottsdale, we saw that um, Mayor Jim Lane was early to promote masks. And he is a Republican, even though it's a nonpartisan seat. So we're not seeing this you know, at the local level the same way we are at the, the national level. In reference to you ask what we're hearing and messaging, I'm getting messages regularly from people who say this, is, um, this was orchestrated. They believe it's real. They believe it's killing people, but they think it was orchestrated. They think yeah. it's... Um, and they believe that, that there are people out there somewhere behind the scenes, um, you know, wanting to, you know, either develop a new world order or a collective, um, you know, national or international um, government who want to um, kill people, population control. I've heard this message. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I just don't think that's true. Microchips. Like, like our, <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. I don't think that's true. I don't think our governor wants to kill anybody. Mm -hmm. um, but then we also find that, um, yeah, I don't think it, I don't think anyone wants to kill anybody, but I think it is killing people. And that's, you know, that's why you guys care. I mean, have mm -hmm. you had any friends or family affected? Um, I have not had anybody or I, I know friends and people that I've worked with that have uh, contracted it. Um, I've had family back in New York because uh, that's uh, where I'm from, upstate New York. And uh, I have, I've had uncles that uh, they all got it. And uh, thankfully they're fine. But I know that's, you know, that's not the case for many people. Um, and so, it, you know, it has hit on a sort of personal level. And I'm sure at this point it's starting to hit more and more people, especially in Arizona, you know? Well, fortunately, with the masking, our numbers are going back down. But what about you, Jess? Um, so I've actually had, not me directly, but I've had friends that have been, so to the extreme, the low extreme is my friends have had it and recovered from it, to the unfortunate extremes, I've had friends, family members pass away to it. Mm. Um, so I, 
am close to this at heart because my sister, she's a research scientist at the Department of Health uh, in New York, um, where I'm also from. But she uh, has been studying this well before it actually became a pandemic. She was studying the coronavirus, uh, different strains, uh, before it became COVID-19 or whatever. And I am, not to say I'm perfect when it comes to citing my sources, but when it comes to like things like this, I tend to just stick to experts. And you know, out of all the things I know my sister's not an expert in, she is an expert when it comes to this stuff. So like, mm-hmm. I kind of have been listening to her guidance on it. Um, with the mask uh, argument, I kind of relate it to growing up with my mom in the wintertime, like not to equate this pandemic to the wintertime, but what I was getting at is like, if it was cold out, my mom would make a rule like, all right, you can go outside, but you have to wear your jacket. And it's like, that's the trade-off. It's like, if we wanted to open up fast, it was told that we have to wear the masks and we weren't, that wasn't enough. We wanted to open up and no mask. And it was childish, you know, like these adults were the ones that were saying like, no, I have these rights. And I felt like the rights weren't taken away. They were just suggested for your well-being, our well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, but that goes to like you were saying, Stephanie, I don't think people do care until they're affected personally. Well, I think that, that I think the failure to have a national or even a state level uh, message is a problem because, you know, we saw that our president was not wearing a mask and was unwilling to wear a mask and even, you know, criticizing Dr. Fossey for his um, comments about the masks and there was confusion. And then our governor as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do believe that things changed the day the governor put on the mask because people trust him on the Republican side and he put on a mask and that was important mm-hmm. because if your elected leaders are not saying, you know, the same thing, then we have a problem. If so Ducey wasn't wearing a mask and wasn't saying to wear a mask. Mayor Kate Gallego was saying to wear a mask. So people who voted for or supported, you know, the mayor of Phoenix were wearing a mask. People who were supportive of the mayor of Scottsdale were kind of wearing a mask, but they were also maybe followers of our governor. And as soon as he put on the mask, I think that made a huge difference in our state. And the mask mandates, um, his unwillingness to make a mask mandate that caused cities to have to start doing it one by one. I was glad to see Scottsdale and Phoenix Mm -hmm. doing that within 24 hours. I think Chandler, Tempe, and a few others, maybe Mesa. And then we saw the county do a countywide mask mandate. But in some states, there's just a mask mandate statewide, and that helps. Mm -hmm. Um, We see a lot of people here not even doing it within the county, even though it is a county mandate. Yeah. What's what's the the valor, the glory in somebody like Ducey saying like, uh, like hands off, like letting everybody, all the cities run for it or the cities announce, uh, decide the mandate. Is that like him? If it works out, he's like, Oh, see it all panned out for me. And if it fails, then he could blame them. You know, I don't really know. I don't see why he wouldn't want to take this leadership position and use, um, his influence, he had a very high rating um, going into this pandemic, and now he is among the lowest. That three mm-hmm. states, um, Florida, I think Florida, Texas, and Arizona, our governors have seen their approval numbers truly tank. And this is, I mean, of everything, he's really done well and had a pretty high approval rating across party lines and with independents and with non-voters. And this really hurt him because people want to have somebody take a hard line against um, politics and be a community leader at a time like this, not a partisan leader. Yeah, that's what I was I was going to ask that before. Like, do you think 
that's why he was against making a mask in uh, like uh like mandate or you think there was a reason behind that or do you do you think that he himself may have been skeptical of what was going on i know know it's hard to ask you what you think his intent was but well one thing i know for sure about politics and i've learned a heck of a lot in the last you know 15 months being in this race for congress is money has a lot more influence than i thought and i thought money was a problem to begin with Mm -hmm. so now i understand that when you are running for office and you take money from special interest, which I have not taken any mm-hmm. special interest money, no matter what the special interest is. I have not signed any pledges, no matter what the pledge is, even if I agree with it. Because as I've learned, what this does is it makes for um, somebody to take a real hard line in the sand against um, working together with others. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you, fill out an endorsement questionnaire and then you take the money from the special interest, you've really committed to that group to represent them. And so I think in his case, he committed to some groups during his um, two runs for governor and prior to that in his run for um, state treasurer that he is um, either is probably heavily beholden to. And if he wants to run again for something else, the problem that he faces is will those groups support him if they feel like he will come out and lead in an op- in a way that harms them. Mm-hmm. And what harms them is when they can't get money from their membership. And so if their membership is kind of radical, then that's a problem. And there are some very radical groups on the right that are very anti-government and do not want um, anyone to be a big government person, which would be for a governor to literally put out executive orders requiring you to, you know, don certain items like a mask. Okay. All right. That's a great insight. That's something I didn't think about. I think a lot of people, at least people who are frustrated with him right now. And I just personally, I've been frustrated with him for a while because my wife's a teacher. And so, uh, yeah. And I don't even want to, we don't have to get into his problems with the teaching here in Arizona, but, um, I figured that the frustration that most people had with him w- was that they felt that he was kind of just going along with whatever uh, the president kind of was feeling at the moment, you know? And so uh, I think that's a deeper look at what could have been the issue. Well, I'll tell you, there's a lot of groups out there and um, Definitely one of the groups that supported the president and, um, and Vice President Pence, especially being on the presidential ticket, um, the Club for Growth, is definitely a group that I know um, would be behind uh, Governor Ducey and behind a lot of the charter school money that comes here into Arizona that mm-hmm. um, we've seen them spend, you know, as long as maybe 15, 20 years ago, they were spending 10, 15, 20, 25 million dollars in our, you know, election cycles to elect, you know, people who were not supportive of public schools to support anti-public school measures on the ballot. Um, And I think one of the things that that causes is, yes, that he, in his whole, you know, issue relating to schools, that's another problem because it's where the money comes from. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to get rid of money in politics because it really takes good leaders and makes them into bad leaders. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really problematic. And if your wife's a teacher, she's seen this all the time here with education. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's been multiple things. Um, Obviously the most recent one is whether or not, you know, kids are going back to school and, you know, that makes, it's like when you know that there's motivations like that for certain politicians, it's hard to trust 
that they're doing things in the best interest to keep people safe, you know? What do you um, think, Jess? I just, we were talking about it loosely when we, we chatted uh, before the pod was about how as a kid, you don't understand how politics can affect your livelihood and living in a red state versus blue state ideology like this kind of lets you learn it as you go. And as Ty is talking about, his wife is affected, you know, directly about the decisions that is made are made politically by our leaders. Um, so, you know, I think that that's something that gets me every time when people try to say that politics don't matter or, or they're not affected or it doesn't concern them because I am riddled to find something that isn't affected by politics, you know? Yeah. Well, one thing that I'll tell you is that um, with the, the PPP and also with the opening of schools, there is so much money involved in these decisions. Um, so with the PPP, one thing we saw is that after that happened, um, Congress had the highest um, fundraising quarter ever during a pandemic. But keep in mm. mind, they gave a lot of money to their donors. So that's a big deal. And then with the opening of schools, there's a lot of money involved in that too, especially with um, the charter schools, because the vendors, the people who supply the products to the charter schools, they are also donors. And here in Arizona, that's mm. very heavily intertwined. And so you, when you're opening schools, you're actually opening up business for some people and not others. And that's also another issue we've seen all the way across our country is, um, Small businesses were given, you know, one week's GDP total, gross domestic product total, to stay home for months. And large businesses were allowed to stay open and operate, like Costco. And, and um, I love Costco. Mm -hmm. But they were never required to shut down. Um, but you have, you know, beauty salons with, you know, one person. And there's no corporate um, profits there for a beauty salon owner. And there's no way to modify your business. So I would have preferred to see the PPP put money into helping businesses modify to survive a pandemic so that they could continue to operate with social distancing in place. Um, and I'll say I was one of the people who, even though I put on a mask early, I had masks on right away. Uh, my mother made some right away. She's in, a, in the state of Washington and she mailed them down to us. So I had masks early. My husband um, ordered masks online because we needed to supply to our distributors in Mexico. But they weren't getting PPE. Mm -hmm. So we were sending masks down to Mexico. So we had N95s. We had the regular, just the blue ones. We had homemade masks all very quickly. And I was wearing them. But if I wasn't coming close to you, I wasn't putting them on in public because I didn't really understand that, you know, how much this virus was circulating through the air. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where you come in just with like your sister. We're learning a lot and getting the data out there and helping people understand the science and the facts is key. And we didn't have that because mm -hmm. people like me, I would have been wearing my mask, even if I was within 15 feet of you mm -hmm. um, right away, but we didn't have that. And that affects a lot of people. Yeah, so, for sure. I, I, bad, so. I was going to say, I think that was the, the main thing that was kind of, um, getting lost in it is that it's a new it's a novel virus so it was a new virus and so um scientists were learning about you know what it was how it affected us how to combat it like at rapid speed and things were changing all the time and i feel like the messaging from in our country from you know higher ups didn't 
kind of get the message across that we were all kind of learning as we go. And so I'm, I'm wondering like how, like how do you think we could have done that better? Well, I think that one of the problems that we have is that um, without consistent messaging, but if we had just right away, you know, said everybody wear a mask and everybody can still go about and like happened in other countries. Mm -hmm. So I'm, and I'm trying to think of which country it was, but it might've been Croatia. Mm -hmm. One of the countries out there that just everybody wore a mask right away. um, And it seems to have gone well. And then countries that were run by, you know, a more, um, let's say, well, like countries run by women, like New Zealand, Mm -hmm. right away. They, they shut down, they handled it. They said, we're going to shut down. We're going to all stay home. We're going to social distance, essential workers only. And their definition of essential workers was pretty limited. Well, they got their situation under control and they're able to eradicate this from their, you know, community. And we could have done the same. And I go back to Montana here, you know, which is a red state with a conservative governor, but their governor just said, Hey, we're shutting down. And if you come in here, you're quarantining for 14 days, we're not going to have this. So I have a lot of cousins in Montana and they've been working mm-hmm. and, and nobody's, they're not getting the virus, but they think, well, what's going on out there? Because we look crazy to them. Like, why can't they get this under control? Mm-hmm. And, but they also affect us because on social media, you know, people from other states are, you know, critical, but they also, the people from other states that aren't supportive are sending out messages like don't wear a mask and don't listen. So social right. media is not helping in that way. No. Yeah. And I was going to ask, even though you try to disregard them because they're nonsense, they are a big portion of the population of people that are the, like you said, the conspiracy theorists and those that question the mask wearing because of the uh, hesitant and the, like, I guess the, the non- it wasn't as like firm, you know what I'm saying? Like they, they felt like they were providing mixed messaging, you know, they will uh, provide a picture of Dr. Fauci recently at the baseball game with the mask, you know, beneath his nose in context is everything. I mean, later he explained he was drinking water, so he had to put the mask down. But um, what do you say with the people that disregard the severity of the virus due to the number increase by them just discrediting the numbers and calling it fake? Um, that is something that happens to me on the daily that I have to bite my tongue about is I have friends that in the same, in one hand will tell me that they won't get involved with politics. It's all corrupt. It doesn't matter. Then the very next breath, tell me something in confidence that the government's out to get us and this is fake and these numbers. So it's like, why is it that the things you're providing to me is factual, but what I say and what I want to entertain to you, it's like, nah, man, that's fake. You know, Mm. And that is what comes across as, I guess, the most frustrating thing is I don't hold all the information, you know, but I was like, it seems a little more one-sided when I'm listening to doctors and scientists and these people are like, nah, man, my friend who works at the gym, he knows about this virus. This YouTube video I saw is pretty good. Yeah, the guy had a, uh, you know, like a doctor's lab coat on. (laughs) So I believe it. Oh, really? Like a fake doctor? Oh. Just horrible. You know, right. this is dangerous for people to be that way. And they're, they're immature. They're not taking their own influence very seriously. And I really, um, I really don't understand the desire to sabotage the well-being of others. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It's not, if you don't want to wear a mask, then 
then don't wear it and I stay away from you because I get it now. My mask protects you, your mask protects me. Mm-hmm. So I understand. So if I'm getting within 15 feet of you now, I would put my mask on because I would protect you. But I didn't understand that in the beginning that, um, that the, the way it was airborne. And so I was wearing my mask when I would get closer to you to protect me. Mm-hmm. Right. And now I see this is, you know, this is a reciprocal relationship and people need to be serious about it. And I, I feel really bad. Like we've seen the stories of people who've been deniers of the pandemic and they've gotten sick and some of them have died. And right. that's pretty dire to, to find yourself that wrong is, is horrible. <laughs> and there's no coming back from that. And unfortunately, I think as humans, I wouldn't even chalk it down, chalk it up to Americans, but humans, I feel like we learn the hard way. Like that's our best way yeah. of learning things. Um, the virus, I, some, some of these objections I've heard, and this is like, from direct friends of mine when I get in these arguments. Uh, the survival rate is 98%. So if I get it, I'll just, you know, I'll just survive. Um, old people, if they're at risk, they should just stay home. Uh, the media is overblowing it. Um, if the flu killed more people and we don't shut down for the flu, and um, if the masks, worked why did uh oh that's my favorite one man yeah if the the masks work then why why didn't they wear them before the virus or what what was was it it was like if the masks work why the six feet if the six feet work why the mask and it's like if if both of those things work why did we shut down and that's what oh right the most popular facebook meme thing that's been shared around by people i know that have denied it Well, I think one of the things that we need to address is like what you suggest. People say, my vote doesn't count. Why does it matter? But then they have opinions and they're influencing what's going on. So I think if they're going to influence what's going on, they should probably start with the ballot box. Um, But I think everybody needs to focus in on um, if you really want to be effective at the ballot box, voting party line is not effective. We have good people from both political parties who have come together and there were people in both parties all along saying to social distance to wear a mask, this is real, be safe. And usually those are at the local level where we have nonpartisan races. Mm-hmm. And that's important because the only way to make the federal or the state legislative races into um, nonpartisan races is to elect people from both parties who would be willing to do it or as individuals to in our own minds with our own votes, make it that way by not voting party line, by picking people who are truly um, committed public servants and have their, the interests of the community at hand. But we don't get enough people who will run for office without taking the money. And Mm. that's the problem. So, you know, in order to not take the money, I had to primarily self fund and take money only from individuals, um, which has been hard especially in a pandemic where I can't meet as many people to ask for donations. Mm -hmm. But as hard as it is, if we don't start doing this, then we're always going to have people in office who, when they go to make a decision, are thinking in their head, well, in my next election, will this decision affect my donors? Or, Mm -hmm. well, does this decision align with the commitments I made on those questionnaires to get that money? Or does this decision align with the pledges I took? And that's not realistic. We cannot align every decision with our personal ideology because our personal ideology exists kind of outside of reality. And, you know, but we have reality and that's the most important thing for our elected officials to deal with. So 
with that trying i you know i used to be when i was younger i thought you know same thing voting didn't matter it's all corrupt you know the it's like a whether like a like a scale where like our votes are like one tenth of every time they vote you know electoral college every excuse right and i again looking back it was an excuse to not get involved and do my part um i think that something about voting so me and ty have talked about how right now with politics like I'm okay with, like you were saying, having both parties, like a Democrat, Democrat, Republican, and we could argue like, oh, let's allocate these funds for this percentage and that. I'm, I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is like arguing, which what seems right now is like humility or, or like, you know, normalcy versus like uh, political support. So what I mean, like we, you know, we're having arguments that black lives matter. You know, it's like, I can't have that argument with somebody like that's not a political thing to me. You know what I'm saying? Like same mm-hmm. with the science thing. Like, I'm not arguing with you what a doctor says. I won't do it. Just like you wouldn't, like you listen to a weatherman when it's cold out, right? You wouldn't mm-hmm. be like, nah, he's corrupt. I'm putting my shorts on. You know, yeah. like. But he's wrong. I don't say, oh, well, that guy lied to me. Right. <laughs> right. Just like, Sometimes you know, they're wrong. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and, but they're more inclined to be right because they did it just because just reverse. Or, that. you know, I'm, I'm definitely willing to take a more educated guess in, in that being wrong than me just assuming that I can just go and, you know, choose what's right off of my uneducated guessing, you know? Right, man. Like, it's not like when, you know, how people make their own anecdotal things of like, oh, if I, you know, when it comes to alcohol or something, I know my tolerance, I could have three beers, you know, this, the coronavirus is not your drinking tolerance. You know, people mm-hmm. are like, oh, I, I know my body, I can handle coronavirus. Even it's that like, defies mm-hmm. the science because mm-hmm. you're going to have the blood alcohol level based mm-hmm. upon the alcohol, not based upon what you perceive your tolerance. Exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. So same with the virus, man, people, you know, people say, oh, there's a percentage, you know, oh, some people got to die, it's the risk. It's like, yeah, but what if you were that percentage? You wouldn't be okay with you dying just to like set that percentage. No. Like, yo, I'm I'm the sacrifice. I did this for y'all, you know. Like, and nobody. I, I nobody also think I just I I hate that we reduce things to these percentages so often, as if like one singular life doesn't matter to a, a whole host of people. You know what I mean? Like one person dying means so much to so many people. To where it, I just hate when it's like, oh, this it's only three, only point zero three percent of kids might die if we go back to school. And it's like, that's a lot of kids, man. Like, what? <laughs> you know, yeah. and like it, I like how do we get people to to, you know, value life in a time, which is insane to say. How do we get people to value life in a pandemic, you know, and look further than statistics? What I did very early on in in March is I have a brother who at the age of 35 committed suicide and that's a very sad story and so early on I shared his story with people and said this isn't a pandemic but anyone who doesn't want to take this pandemic seriously doesn't have anyone they miss as much as I miss my brother Mm -hmm. and and therefore I said and that means that you're not worried about what you would be living with after this pandemic or living without Mm -hmm. and so I just tried to put a face to it because I think early on not having faces to the story was problematic because it's felt so far away for people and I really wanted people to understand that it's going to affect real people there will be somebody out there like me living without a loved one and now we see there's a lot of that. And we have a nice woman here in Arizona who's started, um, it's a page, I'll have to look up the name of it, a Facebook page. And she's putting up um, the names down at the Capitol in honor of her father. 
because she wants to put faces to this. And I think that's what happens. Like with 9-11, we saw faces right away. There was immediate, the news were researching the people and putting faces to it. We didn't see that here. They could have been putting faces up on the media immediately and helping everyone see, wow, look at that mom. She's no longer raising her kids. Those kids are now orphans. Or mm -hmm. look at that grandmother who was a productive member of her community and, you know, had been volunteering at her church for 40 years and now she's not here anymore. We didn't have those faces. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that along with people not, you know, considering all the other damages that could come along with this in terms of, you know, I know, you know, some of the people might survive the virus, but, you know, we don't know the long-term effects of it. We don't know how, you know, we've heard of people, you know, having lung damage that who knows how long they'll be able to get over on top of, you know, how much are we traumatizing doctors and nurses that are seeing people die in these hospitals, you know? Um, I don't know. It's just crazy to me. So the woman I was mentioning, her name is Kristen. I think it's Urquiza. I can't, I don't know how to say it perfectly. Mm -hmm. And she started a campaign called Marked by COVID. Mm -hmm. And it's um, M-A-R-K-E-D by COVID. And she's um, trying to put faces to all of the people in Arizona that we've lost. And I think if people were to look at those faces and see, you know, they're real people, she's very unhappy, but that her dad got COVID and he is no longer here. And I don't blame her because that's a huge loss for the rest of her life to live without her father. Mm -hmm. I agree. And uh, even, uh, even unfortunately, people are going to the extremes of saying that these deaths are being incorrectly marked and that hospitals are running up the numbers just for political gain. I don't um, even understand that one. What I'm, you know, what I'm getting at is like, I, I took the COVID test, right? I just recovered from foot surgery. Um, and before the surgery, I had to take the COVID test. I didn't have COVID. So, you know, negative test, whatever. They called me, they told me, you know, boom. I had an argument with a friend of mine that tried to tell me that, oh, they could have switched my chart and said I did have it just to run the numbers up. And I was like, no, wouldn't they just lie to me and say I had it then, you know? Yeah. And he's like, no, it's a bit bigger than that. You're not thinking big picture. And I'm like, you're thinking too big, you know? Like, and, and these are the arguments that I have, but these people think this in defiance, you know? The hospitals are not marking everyone for having death by COVID because I had um, my campaign manager, Jim Maliki. Um, he had, um, was getting, ill and having some issues. So he took a leave from the campaign a couple of weeks before the pandemic began. And on April 8th, um, after being in the hospital for a few days, he died and they, they labeled it a heart attack. They did mm -hmm. not label it COVID and they could have labeled it COVID, COVID if that's what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And nobody right. would have, they could have Question. said a heart, heart attack caused by COVID. They did mm -hmm. not do that. Right. And, um, you know, so in Jim's memory as being somebody who's passed away during this pandemic and not been marked as a COVID patient, I think it's important to point out that people have these statements that they make out of nowhere. There's no facts behind them, but there are still people who are passing away right now, mm -hmm. um, just like we had every day before, and they are not COVID-19 victims. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, my thing is, I don't even, what does the hospital even gain out of marking people for having it that didn't? I don't even get the- $40,000. $40,000. 
So according to what I've read, and I don't know if it's true or not, mm -hmm. because I haven't looked into it, but that's what the claim is, that the hospitals get $40,000 extra for every COVID-19 death. Now, I don't think hospitals are paid for deaths. Yeah, what? Right. I haven't looked into this, but that sounds completely bizarre. So Why would they wouldn't they just death? kill everybody anyway? <laughs> yeah. Like, if that logic? <laughs> yeah, the, exactly. Like Broken leg, now nah, it's COVID, what? you're dead. Yeah, I don't know when, when um, that's the case. Well, see, but that's another thing is people conflate. That's an insurance issue. They're trying to say that they can build the insurance because COVID deaths require these tests and require the ventilators and require this excess of equipment that they can then double charge. It's equivalent it's equivalent to like any insurance claim with uh with cars. They try and say like, oh well say you know you got hurt like you know say you got hurt on top of a collision because then you could run up the personal injury claim. And that's just them trying to conflate these other arguments that, you know, I, I do agree there's issues with big pharma and big uh, medical insurance, but that's a that's wet to try and mix those two, you know, like, oh, it still well. doesn't even make sense because it's like they the the thing that they bill for is the the equipment that they use that would have nothing to do with labeling an actual death. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, they yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, what I saw was that the federal government was supposedly giving hospitals money, but the federal government gave hospitals money to save lives and to have more PPE and mm -hmm. more equipment, not for people dying. Right. Yeah. So in the CARES Act, what I saw, I did not see that, but you know, it's a pretty big bill. If there was in there, then somebody read further than I did. Mm -hmm. um, and, and God bless them for doing it. But then I think they came back with the wrong facts. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, speaking of acts, do you think the HEROES Act will pass or probably not? You know, I don't know what McConnell is going to do, but if you've watched him over the last month, his behavior in Kentucky versus his behavior in Washington, D.C. have been very different. In Kentucky, he's wearing a mask. He's promoting um, social distancing and mask wearing and really playing the hero himself. Yeah. Um, and I think that means that he's trying to come up with his own plan for the Senate um, that gives him a win without giving the win to the Speaker of the House. Mm -hmm. um, and I really think these people have become bitter and they're not serving our, our country well because they won't work together. We should see the Senate president and the Speaker of the House together um, promoting what is best for our country. He should not be telling people to social distance and put on a mask in Kentucky and then go back to D.C. and um, look like he's, you know, siding up to the anti-maskers. Right. But, um, I presume that pretty soon he's just going to come out and try to distance himself from Trump because Trump looks like he's about to go down big time. Mm -hmm. So I think we'll see McConnell come out with a bill that, that helps the Republicans get on the side of the, um, you know, the side of the pandemic where we're protecting the community and that they are going to try to leverage that for the election. And this is a problem because what we're seeing is both sides leveraging their positions to get reelected instead of um, anybody focused on the community. Yeah, right. the, the things that, that people need. And like the fact that there's been a bill sitting on their desks for, you know, weeks and we, we knew all the deadlines for, uh, you know, evictions and the, um, the unemployment insurance and those things all ended this week. And it's, you know, what, what have they been doing? I don't know, you know? And so I'm, I'm wondering, like, what do you feel in terms of like, what do you think that they should do in terms of like unemployment or um, 
also i think we just need to agree that um we want to get this under control as a country and at a minimum for two to three weeks we should ask everybody to stay home and send some real stimulus money to mm -hmm. americans um you know for let's just say for you know twenty five hundred dollars for everyone over the age of 18 who made up for up to maybe half a million dollars a year Mm -hmm. which is pretty high for that's like 450 billion dollars i believe we could ask everyone to stay home send out those checks ask everyone to stay home and st and that stimulates the economy unlike the um paycheck paycheck protection program bills which didn't generate revenues people could then start um spending money mm -hmm. and on top of that we also could you know put in some money for businesses to outfit themselves to deal with social dif distancing so they could put up walk-up windows, drive-up windows. Um, we could help, you know, salons put in to say, place safety measures. So, you know, you have a glass shield and your client's on the other side. Mm -hmm. There's things that we could help businesses do to, to adjust to this pandemic because it could be going on for another, you know, four to six months or even longer. Um, the flu pandemic, I think, lasted two and a half years. So we should be focused on how to survive this pandemic together on the best possible footing. And so those are things that I think would be good. I don't see um, Congress coming together over those. I also think we should be sending money to schools for PPE. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also important to remember, anything we don't do right now could be done in retrospect. So schools are gonna spend a lot of money on PPE because they have to open. And we could give them money later. So mm -hmm. elect, who we elect to Congress actually does matter. Um, I, my opponent who's been an, you know, a very far right wing Trump supporter, anti um, climate change, climate change hoax, Freedom Caucus supporter. He um, he's been trying to you know come out of the woodwork all of a sudden like this great guy. He's never brought a penny of money back to our district or our state. Um, not really done much for anybody. He's just held the seat because he could because of the Republican registration in the district. And now we see him introducing bills to help the community. And you know that is because he's getting advice from the leaders in the Senate. Don't lose that seat to a Democrat. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's not a partisan thing. For me, it's bad community leadership on his part. And then if we just pass the baton from somebody like him on the Republican side to somebody like him on the Democratic side, we haven't done ourselves any good. And so I really believe we all need to focus on, you know, electing public servants. And Jess, and I hate to just keep going on and on, but when you said people wonder if their vote matters, and the, the thing that people need to understand is your candidate might not get elected the first time they run. Mm -hmm. And your message might not um, convey or correlate to anybody the first time. In 1998, I was 24, and I started the Save Our Schools Committee because I didn't think education funding in Arizona was what it should be. That same committee was um, in, 19, in 2017, teachers asked if they could take it over. Of course they could, um, because I hadn't been using it for years. And because the, I'd moved on to some other issues I was working on. And they took it over and actually went on strike and got some attention. For the three years that I pushed the legislature into special session, we did make inroads on some you know, building funding and some you know, M&O um, funding for schools but not enough. We got some professional development and teacher training, um, but we didn't make enough. And I would have kept going with it year after year after year, but our teachers weren't as um, 
as pushy as I, as I was, <laughs> but I was young and I didn't have anything to lose. My job wasn't attached to this. Mm-hmm. And I think what we need as voters is to remember it could be 20 years before we get an issue through. Um, it was 92. We all thought we were going to get health care under Bill Clinton. We got the Affordable Care Act in 2010. Hopefully in the next Congress, we will actually fix that bill and give the public a public option. That will be 28 years since we started the conversation. So people need to remember change takes time. But if you get involved and you do vote um, over time, you will get things. And what we're doing really is we need to focus on the fact that the next generation gets a different life. Maybe it doesn't work for us, but, but we want to change the, the outcomes, not continue the circle. Yes, and I appreciate you uh, saying that because that in itself is very much what I agree with because I think humans are okay with understanding that everything else is a slow process. You know, you start a business, it's not going to turn into a multi-billion dollar business over time. It takes time, right? Uh, you start working out, you're not going to get buff in a day. It'll take time. You even start a diet, you know, all these things take time. But for some reason, when it comes to voting, they expect this magical genie to pop up. Like, well, I voted and they still didn't do anything for me. So I'm not doing it next time. And it's like, like you were saying, yeah, voting is a seed that you plant. And this is, and this is the argument that I make um, when it comes to candidates. Uh, You know, me personally, when it comes to politicians, I don't know them personally. I can get to know some, you know, through interactions and local, you know, uh, government and stuff like that. But on the bigger scale, the presidents, you know, the governors, the, the people that I can't, you know, you know, reach or I can only complain about on Twitter, uh, a little vulgar. I apologize for that. But um, they, people always say, oh, these candidates aren't perfect. These candidates aren't perfect. And at the end of the day, candidates come down to human beings, you know what I'm saying? And when has a human being ever been perfect? I will say, I will say in politics, you need to have a cleaner record than, Mm -hmm. you know, being a football coach or being a, uh, you know, a gym, whatever the, another profession is a chef or whatever. But, uh, this idea of like, Oh, I don't know this person perfectly. And this Mm -hmm. guy doesn't have a thousand percent my interest. My logic has always been, yes, that person may not be the one. However, he's in a corner surrounded by other people that are like-minded like you that are more likely to influence this individual in a direction that you want to see, unlike the opposition who is not only not into the vision you have, he was in the opposite vision, and he's only in his own vision. So I find it with the party lines that I vote for, mostly left, are not because of the one candidate, but it's the people in their corner. I think also we, you know, people got to realize that it's not a one, you know, you vote the one time and then you just let the politician go and, and they figure it out. But it's like, you have to keep involved and keep the, even the politician you voted in honest with your vote, because it should always be subject to change. If, you know, if you find out that they were, had special interests in their pocket, or, you know, if you, if there's a candidate that is there willing to do more and, so I like it just I think people now, especially in our generation, I, I don't want I'm not trying to millennial bash because I know that happens way too often. But I do think our attention span is so short that everybody wants like snap things done so quickly. And it's just not how a lot of things in life work, you know. 
I think that they're all in the pockets of special interest, even if they don't want to be. Mm-hmm. And they don't always realize that when they take the money. And then after the fact, they realize, oh, wow, in order to have integrity, I need to stick to that commitment I made for that money. Mm-hmm. And then on each side, if the left sticks to their commitments to get the money and the right sticks to their commitments to get the money, there is no compromise. Mm-hmm. And so we need candidates who won't take that money because it, it makes sense that if you want to have integrity and you take the money because you're taking a certain position that you wouldn't change your position. But it creates for the massive divide we have now as money in politics just keeps growing and growing and growing. Everybody's taking positions for things and those positions have no middle ground and we need middle ground. And it's not, not, a lot of people would not be willing to put the money into a campaign like I did to run without taking any special interest money. So we have to start focused as individuals, not just on voting, but we also have to give money to candidates to not take special interest money. True. Instead of the, the pledge, Democrats always say, I'm not taking corporate PAC money. Well, my thing is, well, I know where the corporations get their money. So if you took money from Boeing, I understand where Boeing gets their money. And, um, and if you took money from you know, a special interest group, though, I don't know where that money comes from. And, and when you commit to those positions, you also get access to their donors. And then you get a lot of donors who've given you money based upon your alignment with that special interest. Um, I'm not taking money from either. I'm not saying that I never would, but for right now, I wanted to offer the voters somebody who is not. And I think that we as voters can start changing that. Um, and we can start by also running for office ourselves. So in increasing the number of people. So Jess, you said they might not be perfect, but they need to have a better record than others. Well, why can't people who've been in prison have a seat at the table? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't understand that. I think we need to allow everyone to influence their outcomes, and we're not doing that. And right now, every congressional member um, spends 20 to 25 hours a week on the phone with donors, and that's why they're so close to their donors. That's how much time they spend. Collectively, over a two-year election cycle, they spend about two million hours between themselves and their staff on the phones, um, dialing for dollars and fundraising, and, and they don't spend that kind of time with constituents and voters. I'd like to see us get money out of politics, but I'd also like to see people challenge that. We should be trying to get everybody on the ballot we can. I'm in a four-way primary. I'm the only candidate in the race who's been involved in the community for the whole 25 years. I'm the only one who's worked on public policy, the only one who's brought money back to the district, fed, worked with federal funding, funding or um, government finance. Yet, I'm glad other people are in the race. Why would I want to be um, in a race where, you know, as a, somebody who's been in the community for a long time and um, has some sort of preferential treatment? At the end of the day, um, the National Democratic Party did put somebody in the race who is from outside the community because they would really like to see, um, you know, them have more power in Congress. And that's another problem I have because I think the parties should stay out of their um, primary races and let the community decide who comes out of the primary. And mm-hmm. then, um, and we actually have a law about that in Arizona, but the national parties don't ever um, follow it, which is uh. you know too bad because we are trying here in Arizona. We've always been um, a state that believes in grassroots organization. People have a say. We let voters pass initiatives at the ballot box. So we, I think Arizona has always been one of those states that's really about, you know, letting everyday people have a say in, in their um, community government and even at the federal level. But voters, now, they need to engage, they need to know what matters because the candidate that doesn't win this cycle might win next cycle. 
for the cycle after, but they also influence. So we really need voters to get involved. So with that, 100 days away from you know, the, the grand election, I have some ideas to how we can make election day a little bit better, a little bit more enticing. You let me know why we couldn't do this or what the negative feedback would be. Um, I think election day should be a paid holiday. Okay, you and you want that? me to tell you why I think that's a bad idea? Yeah, why? Why would no, no, not that, not that. No, why? Like, why do there's have, do I have to think it's a bad idea? No no no, 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 no. Why there's been pushback? Like why that doesn't exist right now? Well, I, I think it doesn't exist right now because Congress doesn't want it to exist. Okay. And, you know, Congress passes the bills. And, you know, if you look at anything, like the whole Black Lives Matter, we're marching in the streets. Well, this isn't new. Mm-hmm. You know, we've marched in the streets before. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, Kaepernick's been taking a knee. I don't remember a single member of Congress supporting him or coming out in his favor mm-hmm. and on his side. And I took a lot of flack when I came out on his side as a business owner and a community member. But at the end of the day, that's right. What he was doing and is calling attention to something in a peaceful way. Now we've got people in the streets protesting every day. People are being tear gassed by the federal government. This is outrageous. But, you know, both parties in Congress have at one point during the last 20 years held control of the House, the Senate and the presidency, and they have not passed their own party's issues. And we have to ask, why not? Well, because if they pass those things, do they get reelected or do they need those things? So when we say a paid federal holiday, does Congress want that? Maybe not. Maybe the Democrats would pass it. The Republicans maybe don't because we the Republicans are trying to block the ballot box anyway. Mm-hmm. Damn. Hey, yo. So that's maybe like, like the, there's more money in the treatment than there is the cure. Mm-hmm. So they have they, they have them coming back for more. Whereas if they press the issues, then they'd have no reason to have them coming back. Darn. That's a, right. So you see, yeah. every time the Republicans pass a, a pro-life bill it gets struck down by the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Well, they know that beforehand. They have lawyers. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm. So, so they go into it like knowing that they'll lose just so they can establish another fight? Or just to but look the voters, like they're fighting. But the oh. voters don't feel that way. The voters really feel like they want their issues pushed through Congress. Oh, okay. So, so the voters feel this way. And when, um, but, but the other part is, you know, um, there's a lot of like, um, exchanging votes, you know? So if I went back to Congress and I'm not beholden to anybody but the voters, Mm -hmm. then I could say, well, you know what? You know, I'm not gonna vote on that because it's not good for my community. But but other people say, well, I'm not gonna vote on that because it's not good for my donors or I took this position. So they do a lot of vote swapping, but they have to go explain that to their their voters and their, I mean, to their donors. And, but it's it's really not, there's not a lot of incentive to work together. And so that's another problem. Um, so the no paid um, federal holiday, I think is not something that Republicans are ever gonna support. And, um, but, but I could see Democrats supporting something like that. Um, would you compromise on a holiday without it being paid? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you I want mean, that money. Or at least, at least make the election day a Saturday or something, you know, like. Something yeah, where uh, people have access to go and they don't uh, have to take off work. Although, 
you know, that doesn't get that doesn't get around the fact that a lot of people work in retail where you don't get Saturdays and Sundays off, but it would at least be better. It's just we don't get the compromises on those things right now because we're so partisan and people are kind of all or nothing right now. And then there's two other ideas I had, just like marketing. Um, if you had a, cause I'm sure brands endorse, yeah, brands endorse candidates all the time, right? They like, donate for sure. They donate. What if, what if you're just like, Hey, I know today's election day and I know you guys are Chipotle fans show your receipt, you know, your voting sticker to Chipotle and you can get $5 off your burrito. If you vote for me, you know, that would excite me to vote. I, I would vote anyway, but if I'm someone that loves Chipotle, I would vote just to get the burrito. Sometimes you got to get that those. that would be great. You Nike know? should do that $5 off your shoes. Um, I mm -hmm. think that's a great idea. Uh, mm -hmm. I, hey, I'd be happy to call them all and ask them to do this. You know, something like that or um, a, a form on your taxes that once you vote, you get that as proof. And once you file your taxes, they give you a 20% discount or 10% discount. On your taxes? On your taxes. So, so a tax credit. Yeah, tax credit. You're doing, <laughs> you're doing a civil duty, a duty you know what no, I'm saying? I get like, you. Um, what, do you what do you think about the idea that not voting is for some people a vote. Do you think that's even a possibility? I I kind of go back and forth on that because I get, you know, we all, we, you know, a lot of people fought for their right to vote, you know, whether it's, you know, the minority communities, uh, whether it be black or, or women. And so like voting is a major thing, but also, you know, it's, as it's a right, like not voting is still your right to do. So it is, so, it's kind of hard, you know? I'll tell you a story. Um, back, I think it was 2014, I was going to homes of people who had um, not voted and might need a ride and mm -hmm. maybe had earlier weeks or so before had said they might need a ride and maybe didn't answer their phone that day. So it's election day and I'm knocking on doors, checking to see people need a ride. And if they do, you know, did they need like a handicap accessible van? What exactly do they need to get to the polls? And I knocked on one lady's door and this is up in, um, I'm up by PV mall. Mm -hmm. So, um, so she is an immigrant been here for about a decade at the time. She's a registered voter. She's become a citizen and she's an Iraqi. And she tells me like she goes burst into tears and she's like, I don't feel that I really don't want to go. Are you going to make me go? And I said, I would never make you go. I go, I don't understand. And she burst into tears and she said that they had to vote. And I never really thought about that, but you know, Saddam Hussein had compulsory voting. He made everybody go vote. Hmm. So for her, staying home was a freedom. Yeah. And I never really thought about that. Like what an amazing, you know, experience for her to be somewhere where when she didn't feel good, she could just stay home. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just the, the culture here is people are so apathetic about voting is that we we're more focused on getting more people to vote, but that we don't think about it in terms of, not voting is a right as well. And that's why I'm like, I'm back. Like I want more people to vote, but I get that it's your right to be like, I don't want to vote. So I think the millennials are going to change that though. Mm, and I have, hopefully. you know, kids that are millennials. I think that you, the, the world's going to be different because of the millennials. I, and I mean, I think I see the importance of voting, but I just try to also just try and think of the entire, you know, the enticement that people can have to vote. Like, I think, yeah, the day off, even the unpaid day off would be a start because I think the biggest argument is people saying that I just don't want to leave work or it's annoying to leave work. And then there's like, by the time you get there, because that's happened, I've left work thinking, oh, I'm early. 
and I get there and it's like a three hour line and they do the thing where it's like, Oh, as long as you've been in line by seven o'clock, you're good. But that's not fun. Like, like spending the entire, like four, three, three, four hours after work just to vote where the entire time you're just like, man, if I had the day off, I would have done this at eight in the morning or whatever. You know, we have early voting centers around the Valley that are open for the three to four weeks before the election. And you can go vote on the weekends at them. And um, the Scottsdale city hall has been open. Um, there is a, a, um, a voting center at 27th Avenue and bell road. That's been open all this time. So you, with the early voting centers, the idea is to meet the needs of people who don't want to stand in line and don't want to get caught up on election day. I think we have a hard time getting the word out, but anyone can go to the Maricopa County Recorder website. Um, so maricopa.gov and select elections or recorder and find those early voting centers and they're in every community to help people um, avoid these problems. And I, but I do agree, you're, you're a millennial. And so I know if I throw money at my daughter, she's more likely to do things like, you know, right you know, clean your room or come over for dinner. I'll pay your gas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so what about, uh, I see like, um, the, the voter, uh, what's that called? Like the, the turnouts, you know, old people, you know, tend to be the higher ones because, you know, they see the importance they've been doing it for a while. But what I don't get though, is like, um, how come I feel like Republicans are kind of, um, biting off some of the noses or cutting off some of the noses of their own supporters with this uh, fight back or this kickback of the, the nuking of the voter rights act is what you're talking about. <laughs> well, no, no, the mail-in voting like them. Well, yeah, that's say, part of it though. Yeah. yeah. Only like them trying to say that only Democrats do that. Like I bet you there's a lot of Republicans that are like, no, it saves me a lot of time to vote by mail, you know, like mm -hmm. in that's Arizona. In Arizona, the vote by mail is heavily Republican and, and weighs um, heavily in their favor. So it's completely senseless. Mm -hmm. um, right. I don't understand it one bit because, you know, to me, um, voters that go to the polls and wait in line are more preferential to Democratic voting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think what we have, though, is just so much um, gang-like behavior. If the Democrats like it, the Republicans fight it. If the Republicans like it, the Democrats fight it. Mm -hmm. And we have to get past this gang-like behavior because we can't just, you know, oppose things that are good for everybody. Right, right. Because they're supported by one of the parties. The parties could find a way to both be on the same side for normal things. Like yeah. voting. Yes. yes. And, yeah. I, and I've heard that so many times that like... And I said that to Ty, I was like, I don't think people believe in what they believe in as much anymore, as much as just believing in the opposite. Yeah. And I think, it, you know, I, I know it's like, and I think everybody has to do that with themselves because I, fi I feel like I find myself doing that where I have to seriously think about things of, of whether or not they're actually good, you know, and even if it's somebody I don't like, you know, if it's Ted Cruz or somebody and I'm just, I'm inclined to say, Oh, I don't, there's no way I'm going to agree with anything with Ted Cruz, but you just don't know. Or, you know, Trump uh, signs an executive order where he uh, lowers the prices of, you know, of medicine. And I'm like, that's objectively a good thing. We don't have to, you know, hate that because that's Trump. Now, granted, you can look at that deeper and see if there's flaws or anything in that. Um, but I just think, you know, we got to take things on a case by case thing sometimes and see whether or not they're actually good, you know? Well, right, the Democrats opposed the USMCA and delayed voting on it for seven months because mm -hmm. of it being a Trump idea. Mm -hmm. And then it passed with 90% vote. 
But during that seven months, there are a lot of companies that export from the U.S. to Mexico and even the Mexican business partner owners down there who were hurt by the delayed vote. And I think, you know, I wouldn't be running for office if I was happy with everyone in my political party. I would never right. run just to oppose a Republican. I'm not happy with my congressional member and I'm not happy with my political party because they're not addressing issues in a way that makes sense to me and you on the ground. Mm -hmm. And that's the most important thing is that people need to make money so that we can pay our bills and jobs and employment used to be important. We need somebody to be talking about full employment. That's the best way to tackle equity is full employment. Mm -hmm. Then we need to have initiatives that deal with housing because with um, perpetually generation after generation of families on rent assistance, we're putting our money into making landlords wealthy, our taxpayer money, instead of making homeowners out of Americans. Mm -hmm. So we're, we have things that we need to change and tackle and both sides won't come together, but these affect both sides of the line when it comes to voters. For sure. So, I mean, as uh, Arizona continues to be on its partial shutdown or you know, whatever it is, uh, I kind of see it as like a pool that's half covered. You can like hang out in the shallow end. <laughs> um, things that no, are being no treading water, right? Yeah, no. yeah, things that are being affected daily right now are the gyms being closed. People are upset about the bars. I'm kind of staying away from those restaurants for the time being. Uh, yeah, gym, movie theaters, obviously. Um, which affect, you know, even Ty and I lives, you know, Ty is a big movie fan. I'm, you know, part of the podcast. I do restaurant reviews. I haven't been to one like all year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've been adapting. We've been doing movies at home and doing more DoorDash. And orders. trying to, and I've been trying to stray away from DoorDash because I know they take a huge chunk out of like how much of these small business restaurants make. So I've been trying to, you know, take out from the restaurant and trying to make sure we support them because I know it's a tough time for them uh, right now. But yeah. So, I mean, without, uh, with Stephanie, so without, you know, taking up the rest of your afternoon, what's like a, 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 a like a last roundabout, roundabout way to get people involved that don't see that politics affect their day-to-day -day life, such as the gym, movie theater, entertainment, and stuff that they took for granted? Well, what I would say is, um, first of all, people could go to my website, rimmerforcongress.com, that's R-I-M-M-E-R for F-O-R, congress.com, to learn more about me and, um, and to get involved in their local elections, to look at who their candidates are at the congressional level, but also at the city um, level, the school board level, because these things are important. Um, whether you have kids or not, when I founded the Save Our Schools Committee in 1998, I did not have children. But I knew that someday my kids would go to school, and this matters. But, and so I would say people should start to connect as best they can with, these, with local candidates and local leaders, um, see where you align. And, um, and also, it's, uh, I think it's really important to support your local businesses. And every, all the communities are doing what we can to get that information out of which businesses are open. I feel really bad for the gyms, um, and I feel really bad for... Uh, spas and salons and anything that has been required to close. Some that are crafty are getting to stay open. So, you know, I've heard about a spa that is, you know, really part of a, a medical facility. So they've been able to stay open as a medical facility. Mm. Well, these things are kind of unfair. And this is revealing a lot of elitism and small businesses really support our country. Um, and you talk about the restaurants and not having restaurant reviews. 
what we're going to see, I think, is the restaurant owners that are um, maybe, you know, older, closer to retirement, probably won't reopen. Um, and then I, so I'd like to see um, in the future incentives for um, small businesses so we can see the next generation of small business owners come out of this. Um, so my, I support Congress um, creating a tax credit for small business owners for those first few years where they don't make money to incentivize people sticking with it, sticking it out until they get there. Um, and this is really targeting millennials because this might be an opportunity. And I'm not, you know, I'm not advocating for businesses to go out, but I think Congress has already kind of, you know, written that in the sand. So mm -hmm. we don't have a lot of say. Um, but also, I think for older um, business owners that already have their wealth, um, that don't want to deal with the liability to lose their wealth, because if they, you know, if their employees get sick and, and die and they get sued, that um, we need to um, keep in mind that, that there are people who don't want to reopen after this. Um, and so we can't just demonize it and say that, you know, well, look at that business didn't open up. They might not have wanted to. Uh, but, but there's opportunities in the future for the next generation of business owners. So I think we need to focus also on Congress being in tune with what's going on for the next generation. And all of my policies are focused on the next generation. So jobs for the future, you know, training, how we adjust education for, you know, workforce training and apprenticeships as young as 16, and then um, investing in Medicare for kids from zero to five, federally funded pre-K starting at the age of three. Um, and, and creating um, high paying jobs here in Arizona. So I think that we need to be looking at which leaders are gonna be focused on us in the local community and are not gonna be tied up in this whole political thing that's been going on right now. Mm -hmm. and, and so yeah, look up your people, find them, they're there. And, or sure. run for office, run for office. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, so I mean, we did have a question from one of our audience members. They were, you know, I was trying to get to it earlier, but forgot was like something about politics and um, they'd say that something that turns them off to it is a lot of the interviews and the questions and just some of the transactions seem like unauthentic and seemed either like canned, staged. Mm -hmm. why, why is it that people are afraid to ask like hard hitting, gotcha in your face questions for a, a highly held position? Congress won't answer, they just won't. So everybody wants to play, you know, play it safe for their donors. So if you look like yesterday out in Louisville, there was a black militia um, marching in the streets in Louisville. Um, and I don't know, did either of you see this? Mm -mm. And I don't know anything about this group, but apparently this, you know, black militia group, well, there were Democrats out there kind of supporting it. Well, I don't support militias marching in the streets with, um, with military issue weapons. I don't live in a war zone and I am not for that. So it, to me, it doesn't matter what um, my policy positions aren't to play to whatever the trend is right now. And so I think that's what we happen have happening in Congress is they wanna play to the trend. They wanna be sure they get reelected. They see this militia as a Black Lives Matter thing they have to side with. Well, they weren't part of Black Lives Matter. That's an official group. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't see any reason why I should have to, or anybody should have to side with the idea of carrying military issue weapons In and general. taking over streets when right. I don't support it at all. Mm -hmm. So, so I think what we see in, in Congress is they're, they're not willing to lose their donors and they're not willing to lose the vote. And so they play to the issues. Um, I see it as a weakness. Uh, and, and so that's why they just won't answer. They, they do have canned answers and 
and they're not authentic. And I think it's too bad. And I, but there are some, I mean, we have some very good leaders in our state. Um, I think while, while Senator Sinema has had more and more canned answers, I do think she's authentic and I've really liked her all along as a leader. Um, but I, you know, but again, that could be changing over time. I don't know how her Senate position will affect her, but I do think that she cares about the community. Um, I think Congressman Greg Stanton, who was mayor of Phoenix for a very long time and prior to that on the Phoenix City Council cares very much about the community. I also think out in Scottsdale, where Mayor Jim Lane is the, um, is the mayor, he cares a lot, or Ginny Dickey, who's the mayor of Fountain Hills. I think these people really care about their communities a lot, and we can trust that they are you know, focused on our needs. But at the same time, we also have those who aren't, um, and, and those who are just hateful. We saw Andy Biggs in Congressional District 5 the other day leading mm -hmm. the charge on the House floor um, against the No Ban Act because mm -hmm. he supports the ban of, you know, of people from primarily Muslim countries. Well, as somebody who's from a Lebanese family on my mom's side, you know, that when you target primarily um, Muslim countries, Syria was the country from which my great-grandparents immigrated that would affect us and I wouldn't be here running for Congress. But at the same, but people who come to our country, they want freedoms. And so targeting, you know, people by religion, I think is wrong. Um, but, and we have, but we have congressional leaders that, that are, they, they don't believe in freedom of religion apparently. And I don't think we should elect anybody that doesn't believe in freedom of religion. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, um, you know, I, I think I mentioned to you, I'm trying to get involved at a local level. Um, you know, I consider myself fighting the odds living in a, a red state or purple state, whatever it is right now, you know, uh, I think we live in a time where like you're saying labels are like a negative connotation. I I'm proud that I'm a Democrat, you know, I'm a liberal. I don't, I don't really, I vote for ones. I don't see how I'm not one. Um, and with that, I'm, I'm trying to just make norm of having a p political ideology, but it doesn't mean that you're against other humans, you know, just because they vote. And I'm trying to get back to that mindset of like, hey, you vote Republican and I vote Democrat and that's okay. Well, your party was supposed to tell the voters what issues you're gonna peddle. So I'm peddling issues that are heavily Democratic. But, yeah. But I would vote for issues that are, that are Republican because they're good for the community too. And they're community members. So I'm telling people, well, these are the issues I'm pushing. I'm a Democrat, I'm gonna push these issues. That doesn't make me anti-Republican or opposed to voting for their issues. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't take special interest money because the money really does mean you're not going to support the issues that are of the other party. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we see a lot of demonizing, especially in the utility side, um, you know, where we've got you know, people like me who are very heavy um, supporters of creating jobs that tackle climate change and support mm -hmm. sustainability, even in my job, um, or as a member of the, and supporter of the UN Global Compact Network. You know, these are things that I support, but I don't demonize utilities. I have my utilities on right now. Yeah. Right. I'd like them to keep them on for everybody. I don't want people to die from not having utilities. And I think, but still, I need my utilities. I think I'd like to see incentives and even our local utilities, um, APS and Palo Verde have come out with a plan for, you know, hitting net zero carbon neutrality. And I support that. Um, but I think we run into these problems because there's a goal, there's an idea that we have to demonize people and it's, it's just not working for me. But where do you guys live? I'll help you get involved. Uh, I, live <laughs> I live in, in yeah, I live in North Phoenix. North Phoenix. Oh, well, you can vote for me. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know. I, I got my ballot and I was uh, I was looking it over. I don't know. Uh, I know it's like August 4th, so I probably need to throw that in the mail soon. <laughs> right, right. And um, and it's interesting because, um, you know, it's hard to research candidates, um, yes. you know, because you only get the information they tell you about them unless you've been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I can tell you that um, none of the candidates that are in my race were involved in the issues on the ground all of this time. But um, especially like a couple of them talk about how when Donald Trump was elected, they knew they had to do something. And I appreciate all the people who've come out of the workforce since Donald Trump was elected. We need more people involved. Um, So, you know, on one hand, people could say, well, they didn't care before. Why do they care now? But if we don't change minds, we will not create change. So anything that happens to change minds, I think is good. The more candidates running helps because then you reach further into the community. Um, you know, and there's city council races, school board races, there's even utility boards, you know, so the um, SRP board or the cap water board, there's, there's so much that people can do to get involved. And so I encourage that. And um, if you're looking to get involved, there's legislative races. And we also have clean elections. So if you were to run for the state House of Representatives or another statewide office in Arizona, you can, instead of having to collect large contributions, there's a set amount of number of $5 contributions you have to collect from certain number of voters. And after you do that, then you get your money from the state. Okay. So run for office. <laughs> Can't wait to see you on the ballot. <laughs> I do think there should be more Jewish people in politics. So there you, go. you know what I'm saying? I can set the trend. Um, well, the Jewish community is heavily involved, heavily involved. And I'm a member of the National Council of Jewish Women, and they actually held a debate via Zoom for my congressional race. Oh, wow. um, oh nice. Shouts to the tribe. <laughs> we can get you involved. Awesome. Uh, but yeah, I want to thank you again for coming thank on. Thank you so um, much. This was great. You know, it's really cool to, you know, learn more about politics and be able to speak to someone that's, you know, well-versed and in it to win it, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely excited for you. And yeah, one last time, tell the audience um, kind of when the election is, what you know? What's going down? Where how can they, they reach, reach you? you? See where your where your platform is. Social media is so, all that. Well, so my website is rimmerforcongress.com. R i m m e r f o r congress.com. Um, I'm on social media at rimmer the number four congress. So that's why I differentiate because Twitter and Instagram and Facebook is rimmer with the number four congress. Also, um, voting takes place, people can find early voting centers this weekend or next weekend, and then also August 4th is the day all the polls will be open across the entire state for voting. Um, It's too late to request a ballot in the mail, but if you did get a ballot in the mail, you should please mail it back. Um, But if you don't mail it back, you can drop it off at any polling place or voting center that is open. And and if you want to get involved in a campaign, all the campaigns are, you know, still looking for volunteers. People can make phone calls. You could send emails to your friends um, to tell them about the candidates you support. Uh, And I think one of the things that's really um, critical for people to remember right now is that we have a lot of people who are out of town still. And August 4th is a new voting date. So we might, we all either have a higher than expected voter turnout because we have had that right now with our registration and our numbers. But when people return, we might see that um, some people don't get back in time to get their ballots in the mail. So we need people to be paying attention and voting because we don't want low voter turnout to determine the elections. 
True. I do agree with that. I think uh, mm. at first I thought the people were voting for the wrong persons to blame. I think uh, the people that don't vote is the issue. But, you know, you did open my eyes a little bit about those that have a reason not to. But I think those that are far and few between, but they're unique. But, right. yeah, again. So, uh, so in my race, um, I have a foster son that I was didn't plan for along the election um campaign trail that I was called by a family and asked to take a baby and a newborn mm. back in, um, in November, I took in a newborn. So I actually had taken a, a couple months where I really campaigned a light to help take care of this baby. He lives with me. He's my foster son. And, mm. um, but I do think that, um, that what, um, so for candidates like me who took some time off the campaign trail, um, these votes at the very end of the campaign really matter. Because mm -hmm. I might not have done as well in the early voting because not as many voters were hearing from me during times when I was attending to the baby. So the late voters matter heavily to someone like me, um, but they probably matter to everybody. So I just know for me, I need the people who haven't turned in their ballots to turn them in. Um, and, and I think we all need those people to turn in their ballots because the more people who vote, the better off we are. And we really get a better representation of the community if we have more voters. Yeah. Agreed fully, you know, um, it's more fun when, you know, there's a real champion when there's more teams in the playoffs, you know? Yeah. Or just, you right. know, <laughs> actually when everybody gets to say, you know? Yeah. Right. It's not democracy if not everyone can say. Mm -hmm. Right. But yeah. Um, if anything else, Ty, if you got anything else? No, I, this was a great informative conversation. I just want to thank you again for coming on <laughs> and talking to well, us. Thank you so much. And you know, I used to be a sports writer, so um, oh. if you ever want me to come on and talk about the games, I'm, I'm more than game. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we definitely want – I'm excited for baseball to be back, and, you know, hopefully there'll be a uh, football season because um, Arizona's got – Basketball you know, starting. You know, I guess basketball is starting back up. I guess. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we, you know, I definitely want to see Arizona open up safely and see it, you know, kind of – because I think things were popping over here with the Phoenix Rising Stadium – White Castle was booming. You kind of, you know, like we were doing good. And then the medieval new times. Um, yes, yeah. All yeah. Those yeah. Things. Yeah. I went there for uh, Valentine's day. It's very romantic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, then, and then you haven't been back. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't get so, a chance to go, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, you know, we really are grateful to have you, you know, sit down with us and educate us a little bit more about local government and kind of open my eyes about, some of the things I didn't think about, you know, because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a little, you know, quick uh, opinionated on Facebook and stuff when it comes to the political spectrum. And um, you, yeah, you definitely open my eyes to some things and um, well, I'm there's excited. Good, good people on both sides, good people in our communities on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. And so that's important to remember. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm excited to share this episode with my friends that are quick to share with me YouTube video conspiracy theories and, you know, the government's not telling you this man. And it's a picture of like a frog with like a, like a, you know, a lab coat, you know, like little things like that. So uh, I'm excited to, uh, yeah, be able to you know share and kind of educate those that feel like they know more than you and me. <laughs> so I'm excited, but uh, again, yeah. Thanks again for joining us. And, um, yeah, can't thank you enough. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Ty. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Hope you have a great day. I will. You do. Yeah, have a good day. Burn, burn, burn. We made it, bro. Song of the week. Um, you know what I'm saying? I've been out here. I feel like we've been in a sunshine prison, bro. It hasn't rained in Arizona in, like, what, 
I can't remember since 2019. Instead, it looked like it was going to rain for three whole days. So. <laughs> and it didn't. You know what I'm saying? It just bottled up its emotions. You know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I wanted to rain, and it hasn't. And, you know what I'm saying? I was been bumping the new Pop Smoke album. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he's got the song on there, Make It Rain. And uh, that's what I've been trying to do. So, make it okay. rain. I'm trying to make it rain out here. I feel you. Um, you know how I usually do? I give you a couple album reviews and, um, you know, I usually do, you know, bangs, bops and slaps. I think I'm going to hold off on the album reviews just so, you know, because we had the talk with the, the, the person, the candidate for Congress. Um, yeah. I will say that uh, somebody who dropped an album recently that I have been, that I think it's like kind of blown up right now, or at least on the, you know, I know people are iffy on female rappers which is stupid to me but uh flo millie dropped her album uh i would definitely go check that out just you know flo millie um and like one of the songs that uh popped was weak because it got the you know the weak in the knees sample yeah the swv who's seen weak right weak in the knees oh uh yeah 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 so that she sampled that um, definitely check that out. That's what, that's gonna be my song of the week. I will say briefly though that Gunner dropped the deluxe version of his album. That was pretty good, and yeah, and Inside a Baby dropped another album. But I'll get into those next week. I was confusing Week of the Week in the Knees with Twisted by Key Sweat. Why? <laughs> <laughs> For what reason? I just was just like you know the tone where he's like you got me twisted. I was thinking you got me Week at the Knees. Oh like, my god. Nah, that's wild. You're obviously not a sweaty, bro. Nah. Nah. But uh, yeah, those I'm, are I'm the lights. I'm the light skin key sweat. <laughs> that's gonna be my my sound of the week. Um, but yeah, man, volume one thirty two of the Bucket Up podcast is wild. Um, I want to say special shouts to the sponsors, Sunday Scaries. They be holding it down. Twenty um, percent off your total if you use promo code Bucket Up. Uh, they got the unicorn jerky back in stock. So you can calm your anxiety and taste good candy at the same time. Promo code bucket up. Um, but yeah, for us, man, the bucket hat boys volume one thirty two. Um, unless you got anything else to add, bro. I feel like we're in the bookingtons. Yeah. Just make sure you, you know, uh, if you f- want to talk to the show at all, you can hit us up on any of the social media. You can hit us up on Facebook with the bucket up podcast. On Instagram, we're at the Bucket Hat Boys. On Twitter, we're at Bucket Up Podcast. Um, I'm sure you, whatever you're listening to us on right now, is cool. You know, if you, we're also on SoundCloud. We're on um, Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play. We're on Stitcher Radio. Um, but and also, if you are on, listen to us on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed to us. I don't think we ever asked people to do that for some stupid reason. But yeah, yeah make sure you subscribe to the podcast. You know. And also, if you have the chance or you haven't done so yet, you can leave us a review. Hopefully, it's five stars. Let us know. Give us feedback, especially about this episode. If you want us to do more political things or, you know, we don't, it doesn't have to be, you know, strictly political. Just, you know, having different kinds of guests of this nature on. Just let us know. Um, but, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Put in requests. I know people hit me up telling me, yo, get me on the pod. I'm like, all right, man. So soon we got to get a bucket up calendar. You know what I'm saying? Man. Fill in the slots, you know. But yeah, we'll figure it out. But yeah, man, let us know. Put some effort into this episode like we always do with that organic chemistry. 
But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, man, for the Buckethead Boys, Volume One Thirty Two, we out. Cheer, cheer. Hit boy on the beast. What you gotta go berserk?